Welcome to the Thriving Woman Project podcast, hosted by myself, Wendy Griffith. This is the podcast for women who want to level up and thrive in all areas of your life, health, and business. Join us as we cover a range of topics, all inspiring you to thrive and not just survive. We are here to work on the project of you because I believe the best gift you can give your family and the world is a healthy and thriving you. It's time to thrive. Hello, Thrivers, and welcome back to the Thriving Woman Project podcast with myself, Wendy, and the lovely Louise B, who I have as my special guest today. So this is episode eight, coming to you just before Christmas 2023. So if you're listening in the future, you'll know that we're in the midst of busy, silly, festive season, although we're going to touch on a little bit more about that today. But yes, I am delighted to have my amazing friend Louise here with me. So thank you so much for fitting me into your very busy schedule. That's all right. All this time for fun. (laughs) And it will be fun with you and I. We just got to keep focused, keep focused, otherwise we'll be off on all the tangents. But yes, so Louise and I have actually known each other for gosh, over 12 years now, because we both have a business with network marketing company, Arbonne International. But Louise is also just, she wears so many hats. She also owns a traditional business. She runs a podcast herself, the She's a Christian podcast, which is amazing. She invests in whiskey, but she's never drank a drop, which I love. She's married to a very busy surgeon. She has three kids under six. She helps out on the kids' rotor at church and all the things. And she is even and has joined or been invited to join. This isn't sort of something you can just do. We've been invited to join and accepted into the Evangelical Alliance for the Scottish Public Lead Program. So she's going to tell us a little bit more about that because that is super, super interesting. But yes, as you can tell, Louise is a busy lady. So I'm delighted to have her here to share more with the women in our Thriving Women Project. So Louise, is there anything else you want to add to that introduction? Because I know you're not about all the titles in life. You're much more about the fun stuff. So tell me some like rando facts about you because I know there's quite a few. I collect vintage Chanel because oh, the hello. so I and that's really funny but it's sitting beside me I'll just show you if you want this is my lambskin 1985 24 karat gold hardware vintage Chanel and I purchased it as I've done before I'll send it off to the handbag factory to get redone and then I'll put it to auction and then she invests that money in whiskey. Honestly, this woman, what she doesn't know about investing, but I know that was quite a journey for you because you were someone who was quite li- like sort of living quite the high life in the sense of you were earning a lot of money in your online business before kids. Yeah. And you just basically said that you were kind of wasting it. You weren't being very mindful with it. And then you had this epiphany. You read a book. What was the book that you read? Uh, the Millionaire Next Door. And that was just the light bulb for you. And now I just remember you speaking at this event and you said how you basically sold all this like random stuff that you bought on all like the websites, the Primarks and all that kind of thing. You essentially earned about 1,200 pounds from selling all this stuff on Vinted. You then bought a vintage handbag, paid 250 pounds for it to get redone. Yeah, yeah. You see, I was paying attention. And then... You sold it for like £5,000 and then used the money to invest in whiskey. Now, tell us why whiskey, because not a lot of people know about this. <laughs> so tell us the whiskey thing, because this is so interesting, by the way, yeah. guys, if you're looking to get into investing. Whiskey is a wasting asset, which means it's exempt from capital gains tax. So 
prior to this, just in case anyone thinks that I'm fancy or sound fancy, absolutely not. I was earning a very good income with Arbonne International and um, didn't have many outgoings. So I ended up frittering it away and getting into credit card debt, which was completely unexcusable and embarrassing and stupid because I wasn't paying for any of life's essentials. I was going to H&M. And I read The Millionaire Next Door and this coincided with just feeling tired of my stuff, actually. No, I, I didn't even have my kids. It was before I was even married. I, I just got to the point where I was feeling a bit tired of my stuff. And I also didn't want to enter into marriage with any dick because I knew that I have to be fully kind of transparent with the person I was going to marry, but what he was marrying, what he was taking on, right? So I decided I had to clean up my game. So my my, my game was cleaned, cleaned up a bit, so to speak, when it came to the consumption of stuff. And that was because I read a book called The Millionaire Next Door. It was actually recommended to me by one of the youth pastors of the time at my church. And it is a very old book, but it's the most in-depth study ever on the spending habits and the behind the curtain peek at the money of America's millionaires. And the spoiler alert, if you're looking for it, is it's not the people with Gucci belts driving Range Rover Sports. It's the people in the average house next door that pay for everything in cash, that have set the next generation up well, who's, you know, have been very, very smart with their money and have never bought into the concept of keeping up with the Joneses. Because keeping up with the Joneses, regardless of your level of income, will always leave you wanting more and making really poor financial decisions. So you're buying stuff that you don't need to impress people that you don't even like. So I was able to rewire my brain, so to speak, when I looked at stuff and outward appearances and, and things like that. And yeah, that learned me on a took me on a journey of learning about money and how money works and I became quite fascinated with it, actually. So more recently, when we had put our house on the market, I had, if you're smart with your money, you'll, and, and I'm very mindful as well, there's a cost of living crisis going on right now, but just a, something that was unique to me was you only have so much you can put into a tax wrapper every year, so an ISA, and you only have so much you can put into, say, national savings and investments. So, um you know, the, you don't get anything back on that, but it's essentially a lottery. And after that, you have to be a bit more creative with what you do. And I decided that I wanted to get into the world of investing a bit heavily with more interesting things. And what I decided to do was until I could, I, I wanted to find a way of doing it so that I could report back and make it accessible and doable for the average person. So I gathered up all of my cheap, fast fashion, of which there was a lot, and I started selling on Vinted. And all the money stayed in my Vinted account. And the real prize actually was getting to walk into a nice clean closet and get to wake up every day with just less stuff. So the more that I sold, that I purged, the clearer my mind began to feel. But I, I, I got this pot of money and I tracked down a vintage Chanel handbag. And at the same time, had I'd been reading a lot into the price increases that Chanel were doing and um, different asset classes you can invest in and luxury fashion as being one of them. And I thought, well, that speaks my language more than anything. That's way more <laughs> funds or anything like that. Because I love handbags. I'm a girl, a total girly girl. And I tracked down this Chanel handbag. It went through its authenticity checks, blah, 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 blah. I bought it for £1,200. I mean, that's a lot of money, but wild for what it is. And it was the year of my birth and I sent it off to get redone at the handbag factory and then I put it up for auction and I flipped it. So I flipped a handbag and I made £5,000 
and I bought whiskey because whiskey is exempt of capital gains tax. And once I had then got an offer on that whiskey, I sold that whiskey and I rebalanced my portfolio and we were able to then buy a few more casks of whiskey, meaning that we have a, we have whiskey in for all of our children. And that really makes me feel uh, happy. Um, so that, that was a fun wee game and it started from selling piles and piles of clothes. And I wanted to do that because I didn't want anyone to say to me, well, you're privileged because your husband's a doctor, you must have money to spare or you've got a business and blah, 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 blah. Mm, not with what doctors earn no, in the doctors UK. doctors are not. But no, <laughs> I, I love, I know, I love that, you know, back in the day it was like, be a doctor, you'll be rich. It's like, no, don't be a doctor. Yeah. Um, but I love this story because I think it's so important to the women in this community, whatever age you're at, and I've certainly been so much more mindful of that. It's so interesting, our definitions of what we think success is when we're younger and you know, the the fancy job and the fancy car and the big house and all these things. And actually, the older you get, the more you just think, no, like this is not what's no. real. And I know you stand for so much about, you know, family values and what's important. And I know for you, like juggling motherhood, running businesses, because you love it. But what I love so much about you is that you always keep your family and your faith at the front and center of everything you do. So talk to us a little bit more about what that's looked like over the last few years, becoming a mom, running a business, all the things you're juggling and how you just, because you, I love your attitude. You just, you just do things the Louise way. You're not interested in keeping up with the Joneses, copying what anyone else is doing. You run your race. Thank you. Um, one of our mutual friends, Leslie Collins, she might listen to this, said something that really resonated with me. Um, she was at one of our retreats and she spoke about running her business, our own business before kids. And she was like, what did I do with my time? I could have learned three languages. And that is so <laughs> I, I know. true. It's so true. And it's so true. I look back with some regret because I wish I'd been smarter with my time before I had kids. I honestly feel that had my back not been up against a wall on so many occasions, whether it was me feeling stressed out or a little bit like exasperated, then my mind would have been opened to some of the things that led to my like expanded knowledge, like changing things. Yeah. So- no, I think everything, every, I know it's as cliche as it sounds, everything happens for a reason. And I think there's so many things we wish we could go back and tell our younger yeah. selves. But talk to me about like how you've managed your health and well-being, because this is really a podcast community of women that want to thrive in all areas of yeah. their life and their health and their business. And I know you've been on quite a journey with your health over the past three few years. I mean, you've never been an unhealthy person. I do know you you do have um, a special place in your heart for chocolate. That is a Louise weakness, but don't we all, honestly? But yes, tell me a little bit more about your health journey over the last few years. Physically, I'm great. Like I've, um, I'm fine physical health. But after I had my baby, my second baby in 2020, I, the only way I can describe it is like, I just felt this ton of bricks come down on me. I didn't really know what it was at the t- at the time, but she was born in the February, and just before lockdown, thirteenth, yeah. And we were um, we went into lockdown five weeks later, and not that I knew we were going to go into lockdown at the time, but the week before a lockdown, 
thank goodness I went to the doctor and I'd never been to a doctor before. I've been, to, in fact, I've been to a doctor once when I was wee because my mum took me to get my Veruca frozen off. Ooh. It's the only time in my life I have ever been to a doctor was about eight years old. Wow. And I thought, I didn't know what I was going to say to him. I was really embarrassed. But the night before, I remember saying to myself, just put one foot in front of the other. So just get the baby's jackets on, just walk downstairs, just drive the car, just get there. And I didn't know what I was going to say to him, but I just know that I was feeling very, very um, irritated and angry and like extreme murderous rage um, and very depressed and very like crawling out of my own skin. And I couldn't explain it. I was like crawling up the wall. And I used to sit there and think, I want to dial 999 and tell someone that I'm going to like stab my kids to death so that a policewoman comes and just plucks me out of the situation and puts me in a cell and I can just be by myself because I knew there was all these charities and stuff that say like you know if you're if you've got the baby blues or you're feeling down like drop into your local what's and what's cafe but I was like well, by the time next Wednesday rolls around and I park and put the kids into the pram and walk there I'll feel right as rain again but I had these very desperate moments and like so and you're also an introvert by nature so the idea of going to a cafe to talk to random strangers is like not helpful rather like a pavement so i had these like intense waves of like it's like murderous rage and irritation that would wash over me and i didn't want to know what to do in the minute and is like pacing back and forward and i'm almost like pulling my own skin off and i remember just thinking like i actually think the only thing i can do is call the police because then someone will be there fast and they'll get me in the minute and they'll help me. But I decided, no, tomorrow morning I'll go to the GP, even if I feel perkier, like even if I feel better. So I went along, Coffee. went in and I just said um, to Dr. Burt, I said, um, hi. And I said, um, I just, I don't, I don't feel very right. I don't know what's going on. And I don't really remember much after that, but I do know that um, within 48 hours, he'd referred me to um psychiatrist and I sat in a room with psychiatrists. And if anyone's ever been to anything like that, you feel instantly embarrassed because you feel like, great, now I'm this like incapable nut job. And so I went along and I thought, I'll just dress a bit better so they know that I'm not a complete nutter and that I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know what I was thinking. It was just complete pride. So then I went into the room and I'm trying to like play it down. And then I thought, no, do you know what? This is a massive chance here to have these healthcare professionals really, really help me. Because at the time, after I'd had Tabitha, I was feeling like high levels of irritation. I'd get up in the morning and I couldn't leave my room without like doing my bed 10 times. And I'd put on clothes and then I'd I'd put on a particular top and think something doesn't feel right about this. And if I wear this top today, my family are going to die or something bad's going to happen. I would take the top off again, put something else on. So I was absolutely trapped in my own routines. I couldn't even make it out my bedroom door to feed my kids. So by this point, my two-year-old is like crying for breakfast, but I couldn't go downstairs or I'd walk downstairs and I think if I step on the bottom step, someone's going to die, something bad's going to happen. I just have to like right my wrong and go back upstairs or I do this thing now that I know is neutralizing behavior. I'd have a thought that um, my dad had fallen off a ladder and something horrendous had happened and I'd think it as I was walking through the living room door. So I'd have to go and redo the behavior and think a good thought so that the thing would never happen. And I didn't know at the time, but I'm like deep in raging OCD that has absolutely choked me. 
And I explained all of this to the psychiatrists and there was two of them in the room and I thought, they're going to think I'm nuts, but this is my chance to get some help. And I don't care if they lock me up. I don't care to put me in a padded cell, but I just need someone to give me a silver bullet and make me feel better again. And the psychiatrist said to me, do you mean that you have to do things until things feel right? And I was like, yes, that's it. And I was diagnosed with postpartum OCD. And long story short, I won't go into it because I wasn't able to fulfill like my rituals and and complete things in my head. And I had to do a lot of neutralizing thinking. I was getting irritated whenever one of my kids would interrupt that flow. And that irritation was causing like really bad depression um, and anxiety. And they prescribed me drugs. And I went home and I sat down with my husband, who's a doctor. And I said, I've not been feeling right. It's just like, <laughs> I can see that rail off. Um, but he, he kind of stood back and kind of allowed me to figure that out myself. And I said, I've been prescribed sertraline and they want me to go on it at 200 milligrams, which is the highest licensed dose, because they said that's where it'll be most effective towards OCD. And he was just very gracious. And he said, well, you're your own person. Do it or don't do it. Like make the decision. But there's no there's no judgment, you know, from me. So I had this little bit of prescription, this little check. And to me, drugs had always been something where if you take them, that's you for life. You know, they will give you like synthetic happiness. Like I believed all of the things that you believe about drugs until you've taken them, right? SSRIs. And I thought, oh, this is the bravest thing I've ever, ever done in my life. But I went to the chemist, I got it and I went home and it was like that scene from The Matrix. <laughs> it was like red pillar blue. <laughs> and I was like, do I swallow this or do oh. I? And I remember thinking, what if I swallow this and then I have a synthetic happiness for the rest of my life and I've lived a fake life? But then what if I don't swallow this pill and I just end up stabbing my baby to death, throwing my kid out a window? Like that's how desperate I felt. So I swallowed the pill and I titrated up to 200 milligrams. And um, within three weeks, the relief I felt was unbelievable. We went into a lockdown and um, my husband stayed away. Wow. Front, front line at that time. Well, he's worse in theatre, but, um, and I had my baby, he was five weeks old and I was on a lockdown for two years. Well, no, for however long we're in a lockdown for, I don't know. I know. I mean, like no one, it was all such a blur. Gosh, blur. Louise, I just, I mean, obviously you've shared all of this with me before. This isn't news to me, but at the same time, just when I hear you talk about it, I cannot begin to imagine because for those of us who are mums who have gone through having kids and that those feelings, I mean, it's hard enough without then something being clinically wrong. And I just think if anybody right now is listening to this thinking, oh my gosh, that is me, or that's how I felt, or I just want to plead with you to go and see your doctor and get the help and support. And I will link to some resources in the show notes for you. But at the same time, the bravest thing, I love what you said there, the bravest thing you've ever done in your life is to just make that appointment and go. And take that medication because it's so, isn't it crazy that say you were sitting here telling me a story about how you'd recovered from breast cancer or something, you wouldn't be sitting there going and, you know, I had this big thought about should I, yeah. you know, have like the surgery, should I take the drugs, yeah. you know, we'd be going like, yeah, yeah, you know, do it. And it's so weird that I when know. it comes to mental health, we have all these stigmas, we have these unknown. limiting beliefs. And I know that I struggled with the same thing during lockdown and, and, you know, mild depression and what I now realized was perimenopause anxiety and also went on sertraline, um, lower dose uh, than yourself, but obviously yours was specifically for 
reasons that you needed it for. And yeah, you know, and I know that you've come out the other side of this and you've, you've done the therapy, you've had the meds, you have done the work. And I just want to applaud you for your bravery. And thank you so much for sharing that. That couldn't have been easy. Like you're probably reliving it and just everything. But honestly, you would have blessed someone so much by sharing that story here today and just helping yeah. someone else. So Let's let's pick up the let's pick up the tone. Yeah, let's um, talk from that. Let's, just, let's talk about something. So we, I mean, we've spoken about handbags. We've spoken about postnatal depression. Whatever's coming next. I will just say though, <laughs> at the time, one of my biggest fears was if anyone finds out that I'm on these drugs, though. I imagined people sitting around their kitchen table like, that were like, "Oh, she's not a coper," or like poor Nathan having to be married to her. Like you know, Nathan's got a lot on his plate already. Or I imagined like such pity. So I've never, I've never spoken about public healing number one. And the only reason I speak into your podcast is it will arguably be slightly less distributed around my friends and mine will, because you're that one more person away. Um, I will say that I did a lot of work and the lockdown was a blessing. And as of today, I am like drug free. I, I um, do not take a single prescribed drug and I titrated down off over the course of a year. And I had some horrific withdrawals. So if anyone's going through that, like, please reach out because I think coming off something like that is like coming off heroin. Had horrific withdrawals. Um, but as of today, I don't take a single part of my vitamins. I don't take anything. And there's just light at the end of the tunnel. And every time I've tried to come off my medication before, I've had these horrific withdrawals and they have tricked me into thinking that my OCD is back with a vengeance and I thought, oh my goodness, I'd forgotten how bad I was, but it's not, it's withdrawals. And once I got an over that and decided for me and everyone's different, but made the decision that I wanted to come off this stuff, there's there's totally life at the other side of it. You're not, you don't have to be on it forever like I thought you did. It was for in my life and I got so much help and I feel... Um, it was for treatment, treatment for a medical condition hopefully. that any one of us can have. And so, yeah, yeah, I just really want to encourage anyone listening to this to go out, whatever it is for you, Go, go and get the check, go and get that mole checked, go and, you know, speak to your professional about your mental health. Like you are not alone. There are so many people out there to support you, but honestly, such an inspiration. And, and you've obviously gone on to have a third child and everything fine. No, well, like apart nothing- from the fact that I thought I had food poisoning and then I gave birth to him in the spare room. Um, eh, you know, this story, Wendy, he arrived at home. That's why it's called Joshua. It means God's deliverance. It was um, a dream. It was a great birth. It was an it was an easy birth. And I mean, it was a, I would have welcomed some gas and air. Um, but yeah, who wouldn't love that stuff? Yeah, so it was a funny story. <laughs> but um, night and day with regards to postpartum, like he's a joy. I have loved almost every minute. I feel such lightness in my spirit. And yeah, very different experience. So talk to me about your faith. Tell me about this Evangelical Alliance <laughs> briefly. So the Evangelical Alliance, um, a guy, a guy that I know stood up in church and um, one week when they were doing the announcements and said, and I, he's part of the Evangelical Alliance steering program. And he said, look, we are opening up this year for our Scottish public lead uh, cohort. And we're looking for people from all walks of life to apply. So you apply, you get some references, you go through an interview process and um I was offered a place. So there's 15 of us and we uh, were from all walks of life, um, all professional backgrounds. And we have each been partnered with a mentor, someone who has been there and done that, 
gone there before us. Some of these mentors are um, really high up in, in government. Um, they're on the C-suite of some of the bigot of then kind of like a huge oil and gas company. Um, they are in the public. They have appeared in television. Like they're really amazing caliber of, of mentors and alumni as well that we get to network with. And the whole um, ethos of Evangelical Alliance is how can we in a post-truth society and culture where anything goes, shine a light for our faith um, in a in, in a real way. And I think so often Christians can exist in a holy huddle and we can definitely be guilty of between church and community and church friends and church groups not having to battle with culture and society and things like that. But I believe so personally true. as a believer, that's not what God has called me to do. God has called me to be out there in the workplace. I don't work for a church. I'm not on any church's payroll or anything like that. And really um, live my best life, like be the best I can be, but, but stand up for my faith. In a culture where cancel culture is a big thing and we live in a post-truth society, we live in a society where everyone is about my truth and me and what can I get out of this? And um, how I can live my life reflecting biblical principles and be different. And um, that came about at the same time as my podcast that you've helped me get off the ground called She's a Christian. And it was about... I was going to say, we have to talk about this amazing podcast. You've had such incredible messages from people all over the world. A lot of people who aren't Christians as well. Yeah. I um yeah I've had messages from people that and um it's it's not even about to me like I do just I get I was sharing actually a, a Christmas dinner the other night with some with my mentor that every time I sit down and and write my Wednesday email or I write some notes I just feel this mental creative block and that's not me because I am quite creative and it's almost like something in the back of my mind is saying you are not equipped for this or you're gonna get this part of theology wrong and you should leave this to the experts and you don't have the credentials and you don't have the letters after your name oh we know who's uh, yeah, behind right. us and um it's like every time I, I sit and try and put something out there I have had feelings of that and it's just made me more determined to stick my heels in and say do you know what if I can just be the person that writes the email God you just tell me what to write God you just give me inspiration I love to that. say or use other people to come and tell me what to say. So I outsourced all the boring bits to Wendy. Sorry, Wendy. (laughs) Wendy's business takes care of all the boring bits that I don't want to do. And she's left me with the fun job of finding people to speak to and speaking to the people that I find. I definitely have had some messages from people who were an Arbonne consultant once over a decade ago, and they've got in touch to say, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I went to church when I was a wee girl and I fell away from the faith and I've been searching everywhere for some sort of fulfillment and nothing's fulfilling it. And it's God. I know that it's God and I know that it's Jesus that's the thing. Or I've had messages from some friends and maybe we share mutual Christian friends, but those Christian friends have weirded it up for the rest of us. And they're able to say, Louise, you spoke about Jesus in a really normal way. And actually maybe this can be something that I look at for myself. Like, do you know, like all, I think there's a lot to be said. Yeah. Weird. 
And that's and that's why I knew that you had to have a podcast because I knew we had to get your voice out there. You're so funny. You're so relatable. You're so real. And every time you get a wobble, I'm like, shush, Louise, like, absolutely, you need to get, or I'll challenge you and say, nope, don't dim your light on that. We're standing up for this or whatever. So I love that partnership. And I'm going to link to Louise's um, podcast in the show notes because you have to check it out, even if you're not a Christian or have any inclination towards faith. It's just, Louise is just funny. When I was like uploading this into the podcast charts, I was like, I actually put it down as one of the categories as a comedy because I'm like, honestly, she's so funny. I mean, licking pavements and doing all the things she does. I mean, truly, it's amazing. Um, But yes, obviously being, you know, I mean, I I can't believe the breadth that we've covered. So we've got handbags, postnatal depression, podcasting, business, health, Whiskey. I don't think we've left any whiskey. I'm I've I don't think we've not left drank any. My investment, to be honest, I think that's by the oh. grace of God. I've not drank that dry. <laughs> but also, but what I love about you, Louise, is that you are being an introvert. You are so about like binge watching the telly, yeah. like wrapped up in a duvet. Like, tell everyone what you ask your husband for for your birthday every year because they're going oh, to date myself. Yeah, yeah. I say, she's like, coming in the morning, bringing the children to greet me. And <laughs> it's like you're living in one of those olden days. Send the equerry up with my children and I will greet them and then take them away and give me the day to myself. And that to me is a rich life. I think we're around so many people, right? That have these like badass gangster paychecks. And there's nothing wrong with that because Money in the hands of the right people is a wonderful thing, right? But we Agreed. see Amen. so much unfulfillment around us of people trying to get more and more and more and get to the next thing and get to the next thing. And I just look around and I say like, I love a handbag as much as the next person. I love a nice piece of jewelry as much as the next person. But to me, a rich life is a, is a life of rest and slowness and the ability to have the time to like sit with someone and have a chat and encourage them. And that to me is like a really wealthy life, like rich relationships and rich conversations. I was going to say, you can have all the money in the world, but if you're time poor and you don't see your kids and you don't, you know, get to see your family, people always say to me, oh, you're so good at keeping in touch and, you know, oh, you're so good at like getting involved in the community and volunteering and stuff. And I'm like, I have intentionally designed my life in a way that allows me to do those things. If I could not do those things, I would not be worth being around because I would not be a happy, fulfilled person. I would be miserable because I've done the corporate thing. I've done the working 12 hour days, earning loads of money, you know, and it didn't fulfill me, but my life now does. So I love that we're on the same page with that. And I think more and more, the world is changing. We're going back to the slower ways. Thank goodness. Can I just say though? Even just with this- What facilitates- the slower way because you have to eat you have to have a house over your head is like can we just give a massive shout out to passive income because yes. without passive income you wouldn't be uh, we wouldn't be able to live slow like we've we've not like suddenly designed a life where the bills don't need paid and we have the luxury yeah. of like not going into the office anymore we have passive income so investing in whiskey investing yeah. in chanel like sitting down and reading a book at night and stop reading the kardashians like FYI, you can watch the Kardashians once you've got some assets that are working for you, right? You can go back to all that. 
Um, but just to just to clarify for people listening, passive income yeah. is where you have done the work or you've set up assets or you know things like courses. So I have it in my own business. I have a couple of courses that people can buy, and people make those purchases without me having to physically yeah. do the work. And then they get added into my community where there's an automation to serve them, etc. And so yeah, I can literally be on the sofa like I was this afternoon when my little daughter's nativity play got cancelled due to flooding in the school, and spend time with her and be there for her. All the while, I looked at my emails because something popped up, it caught my eye, and I've made a sale on my online course. So that is the power of passive like. income. But Louise and I have both worked to set those things up in the past and continue to yeah. do so. But this is passive income is what allowed where you're not trading time for money. Yeah. That is the key thing. And, but don't get me wrong. You know, my husband has a job. He trades time for money, but slowly, but surely we're working our lifestyle. And my goal in the next 10 years is to have, you know, my husband retired and just support me in my own business, which will be an investment portfolio. Yeah. Hopefully it's as glamorous as yours though. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe yours. I don't have any bricks and mortar. It's the least illiquid form of investment. Um, I have. Yeah, I'm not interested in bricks no, and mortar. I'm not interested I in bricks and mortar one bit. Sack that. Far too much of a ball ache. Do you want to spend your Saturday morning fixing washing machines? I don't. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. It's always a, we live in such a, a nice location here in Norfolk. People are always like, oh, you should have like a, a bed and breakfast or self catering. I'm like, who's going to clean? Who's going to look on? Exactly. No, thanks. That's just too much hard it, work it's for me. Thank you very much. Intensive. But it, yeah, it so is. I just wanted to say to anyone sitting listening to this thinking, wow, it's fine for those two privileged monkeys to talk about how, you know, the slower pace of life and lying on the couch. But, you know, I'm in my minimum wage job and I'm doing that all the hours that God serves and there's nothing to spare. The secret sauce here is passive income and you don't have to pay for any guru to come and tell you that. Like you can Google it. Yeah. You can go to YouTube and for free, just type in passive income businesses I can run from home. And that's what we've done. And the more you get into it, the more you think, actually, now that I've learned, they all work in the same way, right? Because they're they're all years businesses. Once you've got the mindset, it's a blueprint. You just apply one, one, one back to the other. And once you get into that yeah. world, you begin listening to podcasts and reading books on people that give you even more ideas. But the key is, if you're sitting here thinking, I wish I could talk about living a richer life and I'm, you know, working ass to the grass, but what's the option? Google passive income, ways to get it. <laughs> and that will exactly into a into a whole world of And it's a process. You you don't just get it overnight. It's layering. So Louise and I both entered the world of passive income by starting our Arbon businesses. Then through learning the skills through that, we've added other you know, things into our portfolio. And now we have multiple businesses each that bring in revenue. So it spreads the risk, you know, it keeps it interesting, versatility, all that kind of thing. And yeah, it's definitely the secret sauce. I'm so glad that we can end today's podcast on yeah. that because I think that is so, so powerful. Yeah. I mean, and it's what's, well. it's what's needed in 2024 yeah. for people to really get out of this. And I just really want to challenge you if you are stuck in that mindset of cutting back, I want to challenge you to think about how can I add more, but add more in a smarter way, not necessarily a busier way. That's the key. Exactly. And if you're listening to this and you, you know, Wendy, then go and speak to Wendy. If you're listening to this and you're, you're friends with me or you're connected through me, then come and speak to me. And we're happy to like sit down and be really, we haven't, you know, 
we have nothing to hide. We, yeah. we don't have anyone that we care to impress. So we'd happily tell you how we built each of our businesses and what they look like and maybe help you come up with some ideas that would suit you. Like reach out. Like I hate to think people are sitting there thinking, oh, like yeah, I'm, agree. I'm living for the weekend or I, I don't want to keep doing this. Reach out to one of us and we'll we'll give you some pointers. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I, I love getting messages from people asking me questions and you know, it's, I think we all need to stick together as women yeah. in this world, especially. So yeah, thank you so much, Louise. Honestly, this has been such a fun podcast. I have loved all the topics covered. I'm going to have an absolute giggle <laughs> listening back to this, just thinking what tangent were we on today? But that was amazing. And I know it will bless so many people, especially your story around your postnatal yeah. um, OCD. And yeah. I just thank you so much for being That's so okay. vulnerable because we know that when we share vulnerably, I know sometimes I get the most, I get the hugest vulnerability hangovers yeah, from like being T- TMI on my podcast. <laughs> but then it just takes that one message from someone to say, oh my goodness, you have no idea how much yeah. that's helped me or I've gone on to do this as a result. And that's the thing. We're we're here to be, you know, a blessing, like not role models <laughs> because we're not perfect. But if, if what we share can help others, then absolutely all for yeah. it. So thank You're you right. so much. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. If you've got value from this, please won't you take two seconds to take a screenshot and share a pic of this episode on your socials. Extra points if you'd like to rate and review this podcast on your preferred platform so that we can share the love with more women wanting to thrive in their lives. Do be sure to visit my website, wendygriffith.co.uk to get all my free resources to support you on your thriving journey. Until next time, God bless, take care of yourself and keep thriving.